and happy Monday. I'm so excited to be sharing this episode with you all today. It's really awesome. Um, It was just a great opportunity to be able to speak with Gigi Robinson, who is so cool and so determined and just like, wow, what a badass woman. I feel like I was just so impressed by her work ethic and her diligence. Um, It makes me really want to get my own shit together. But um, aside from that, Gigi's just a really sweet person and I had such a nice time talking to her and I feel really honored to have been able to speak with, um, the world's youngest or first Gen Z, uh, sports illustrated model. So that was pretty dope. Um, aside from that, um, what did I want to say? Oh, I went to a poetry reading last night, um, with Ruby Carr, which was really cool. I've never been to a poetry reading before. And it was just really beautiful. And the music and the art and the background was just just really lovely. And I I was familiar with Ruby Carr, but I don't think I ever really read her poetry that much. And just, I was really empowered. And to see uh, someone who really published their first book at 21 and became like a New York Times bestseller, like she's really dope. So... Ruby, if you're listening to this and want to come on the podcast, I'd love to have you up. Anyways, um, as always, if you are looking, you know, for a way to get help with therapy and not pay in a ridiculous amount of money, um, you can use my code Zoe at both Talkspace and BetterHelp. So either betterhelp.com slash Zoe for 10% off your first month or just use the code Zoe, Z-O-E at checkout. Talkspace and get $100 off your first month. So I always just recommend, you know, it's really hard to get a therapist now. And if you, you know, are looking for either a short-term or a long-term solution, both of these options are amazing. So without further ado, here's Gigi and I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Gigi Robinson, who is Sports Illustrated's newest swimsuit model and a mental health and chronic pain advocate. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, and I'm super excited to, you know, have this fun conversation together. I'm so excited. So if you don't mind just telling me a little bit about yourself, where are you from, where did you grow up? How old are you? What's your story? Um, So my name is Gigi Robinson. I grew up in New York City. I went to LaGuardia High School, which is the fame school, if you're not familiar. Um, I studied fine art there. And then I went on to go to FIT for a year before transferring to USC for my undergrad and my master's, which will be done in December. Thank goodness, because I've decided that's my last bout with education. Um, Maybe for now, who knows? I actually have no idea what's in store. Um, And yeah, I love talking about 
advocacy online and um, equity and what that means for content creators of different marginalized and just communities in general. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. That's awesome. So did you like going to LaGuardia, did you know you wanted to get into, you know, performing arts or something along those lines? You know, I think like yes and no. Um, Some of that kind of I think I've always, you know, I've always been creative and I wanted to work in photography, um, shooting ads for, you know, or shooting magazine covers or movie posters like those. What That was what I wanted to do. But when I was in college at UIC, I actually got like a real look at that when I interned at Paramount and Warner Bros, where I realized everything was outsourced and like you could take the photo, but it was like art directed by somebody else and they would get the credit. And then after that, like some graphic designer would put everything on. Like, I thought it was all like one person art directs and like creates the entire, you know, movie poster, but no, it's not like that. And I think ads and billboards are very similar. Um, So I think being a, you know, creator, full-time influencer, designer, art director, that is a cool position that I'm in because I get to like really make those creative decisions that a creative or art director would make on a set, but for my own stuff. And I get to pull in the freelancers that I want to work with. So it's definitely, it's definitely really cool. Yeah. And now that you say that, and this is a total aside, but I feel like that's really just the direction our generation is going in, in that, like people are fed up with like the bureaucracy, like bureaucracy, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, bureaucracy. Wow, um, <laughs> of just you know these big industries that have like it all roll up to like the man. Whereas now people are kind of taking it into their own hands, mm-hmm. especially now with social media and being able to reach millions or you know billions and do it by yourself and create that content by yourself. So that's so cool that you. Um, you know, found that position. And what are you studying at USC now to getting your master's in? Yeah, I'm studying, um, I'm getting a master's of science in innovation design and technology. So um, kind of think about like the future of work, the future of startups, the future of business, like anything really related. Um, and just kind of thinking about innovation um, as like the lens to the future of life. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm about to start my master's in the fall and I'm like, oh, amazing. I'm so nervous, but it's okay. Um, So you mentioned that, you know, you started off being interested or wanting to, um, you know, go into photography, uh, creative directing. And when did, I guess, when did you start thinking about the idea of modeling? Like, was that ever on your mind when you were younger or did it kind of fall into your lap? Um, I think it, it was kind of, it kind of fell into my lap. People always told me like, oh, you have such a pretty face. Like, and it was never like, it was like obvious that they were saying like, you could never be a model because only your face is pretty, like your body's not good enough. And I think growing up in like the 2000s and 2010s was like one of the most like harsh times because people really cared about like what you looked like I mean people still care but I think there's a little bit more of a realistic lens on on it and more discourse around it but back then I was always like okay maybe this is my calling like I've I I really have no idea um so then I 
started doing self-portraiture with my photography. And again, everyone was like, gorgeous, so pretty, whatever. And then I stepped in front of the camera for ads for brands. And then I was like, oh, wait, I can actually do a self-portrait and shoot an ad. And like, it can be really fun. And I can like merge my passion for directing with my passion for modeling and like feeling confident and showing people that you don't need to be like a supermodel to be a model um, was like super important to me. So it just fell into my lap. Yeah, no, I mean, you make such a good point. Like there's, there's like so many things that are thrown around, not in a malicious way, but they're, it's like almost backhanded compliments of like, you can read between the lines when someone says like, oh, you know, are you, are you tired? Like, for example, I'll be like, okay, no, I know I just look like shit or like, yeah, I know. Or I'm trying to, when I was younger, um, everyone used to be like, you're so exotic looking. And I was like, I know that's because I just have a big nose. Like, come on. <laughs> and it was never, you know, like, and I know my, they, they, the people didn't mean wrong. Right. But I think it just, it's a negative narrative to put on young women who are already like at a prime time in their lives that they're predisposed to mental health conditions. So mm-hmm. um, that's, I like how you, you called that out. And I think, and I hope that we're moving into a world where there's not as many like label, like labels such as those that were used in like America's next top model and like plus size versus just like, this is a human body and they're all going to range. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely try to, you know, put that at the forefront of what I do just because of the, the people looking at my content, but also because of the brands that I work with and I make sure that I specifically am reiterating to them my message and me being very clear of like, this is the goal of the campaign. Like I want the campaign to be inclusive. I want the other partners to be inclusive. So, so on and and so forth. Was the, when you got into, so wait, how old were you when you got into the modeling industry? Um, I mean, I really started doing legit campaigns last year. Oh, okay. So now that you've been in it for, let's say like a year and a half or so, have, and I think just the model, you're like the first model I've interviewed. And I, you know, there's so many stereotypes around the industry of being toxic. And, you know, now like, old Tyra Banks videos have just blown up on TikTok and rewatching, you know, series and being like, oh, I can't believe this was aired. Did, have you ever felt kind of the old ways of modeling roll into your work? Or do you honestly think that there's been like a change in the industry? I mean, I think there's a lot of different things to it. It's very layered. I was saying this on another show I was on, but like the way that media is moving is so that we see ourselves in the people that brands choose to model um, or to have model for them. And that reason like can arguably be a business decision. And I think being able to help and target as many people as possible is like the ultimate goal um but at what cost right like it it costs money to like do the production to pay the people to pay the models but then the brand is supposedly going to net 
way, way more, you know, for their business. So um, mm-hmm. I think that aspect's always going to be the same. It's just people want to see more of themselves in the marketing. And that's just how things are changing. I mean, the same way that like, there's a lot of, um, you know, videos out there that show the body image trends over time and how in the 1920s, it was like super curvy, like Marilyn Monroe. And she was like a size six E. And then we get up to the 1970s and eighties and it's like super, super thin and like skinny. Mm-hmm. And I think that things change over time, but we shouldn't let that dictate our happiness. And I think we've grown to the point where, you know, we're not in the 1920s, we're in the 2020s. And now we have technology at our fingertips to educate people that like, you don't have to look like the, you know, golden standard. I mean, I also think like now, I think probably the statement (laughs) that Kim Kardashian was trying to make at the Met Gala wearing Marilyn's dress is that that is the new body standard, right? And you don't have to be that in any way. Like I'm certainly not that either. And I think just making sure that you are self-aware enough to detach from like the outside world that you like realize that your body is your own and that it's not, it should not be compared to whatever standard you might have in your mind. Yeah, there's like that quote that's like, you're not meant to fit the clothes, the clothes are meant to fit you or like that idea. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to read this little quote from, um, I think it was Glamour Magazine, which is sick that you were on that. Um, But not only are you the first Gen Z woman in Sports Illustrated, but you also are the first chronically ill woman in the magazine. Um, Could you talk to me a little bit about the specific condition that you battle and how it's impacted your life? Yeah, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. And um, it just basically leaves me in pain all the time. And I really have struggled over the years with like my confidence because I have had a lot of FOMO over like missing things and going to doctor's appointments and whatnot. So um, I've also struggled in school when it comes to like accommodations and getting what I need in an academic setting um, for my teachers to perform my best. And over the pandemic, I kind of had a couple moments where I was realizing like, wow, like there is so much that I needed and I needed to be empowered and inspired to like speak up and really you know if you see something say something when like teachers were breaking accommodation rules and whatnot and the only way that I knew how to do that at the time was through my art so I returned to my roots and um in each of my art like classes and stuff um so sorry I had a tickle in my throat so yeah that's kind of it so what what exactly is the syndrome like how did it, how did you get diagnosed because I know with um you know certain chronic illnesses they take so long to figure out what they are and then there's no cure so it's like a constant battle which um you know I work in the mental health field and there's such a strong correlation between you know chronic illness whatever it be and mental health and oftentimes the chronic illness itself is overlooked Mm -hmm. it's like you know mental health has just started we've just started talking about it but it it, I think not that there's a stigma around chronic illness there's just not a lot of awareness yeah I think chronic illness is so overlooked because 
predominantly it's it's something that you can't see and it's also dynamic so one day you could be like me going to a premiere the next day you could be in your bed and doing things completely remotely or just resting because you can't do anything else like I think there's a lot involved um, with chronic illnesses that people don't really realize. And another thing that's kind of interesting to think about is like people can have chronic illnesses like psoriasis, right? Um, but that's not necessarily considered like a disability because it's not necessarily something that like is disabling you from functioning, but, but also at times it can. So who am I to say that like what somebody's chronic illness, um, really, you know, is, is qualified as I have psoriasis, but I don't consider that a part of like one of my chronic, like one of my disabilities, like Ehlers-Danlos is the thing that disables me a lot of the time from doing things that I want to do or that I could be able to do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. And I got diagnosed because I just kept getting injured over and over again within like a very short amount of time. And, um, I live in New York city. I have access to amazing doctors and the pediatric geneticists, like literally just was like, yeah, this is obviously a case by case study of what you have. That's that. And I've just been managing it since. So were there, cause I mean, it, you're so young, you're like just blowing up and, and like really just taking the world by storm. Were there times where you had to advocate for yourself and like, because you know, you're a woman, you're young, there's so many like things and, and then uh, you have this chronic illness. Like how did you go about advocating for yourself when it came to like job interviews or, or getting a certain thing um, because you have like an, like a subtle confidence to you. I don't know if that's like a thing, but it's, you know what I mean? And it's just you, you, in order to make it this far, like you, you seem to have the self-awareness and confidence to have gotten you there. Um, yeah. I also mentioned this on another show because it's one of my favorite quotes, but I think luck happens at the intersection of preparation and opportunity. And I've been somebody who really enjoys education and really enjoys doing things as thoroughly and as right as I can. So knowing that there's certain processes that need to be in place to achieve what you want is important. Like nothing's going to come to you just like out of, I mean, things do come out of the blue, but it's a result of your hard work typically. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just have been somebody who does not really internalize what other people think or like other outcomes in life. If I didn't get one internship, I mean, I, you should have seen the way I was like in high school, just being so obsessed with doing the things strategically that I knew I had to do that meant applying to hundreds and hundreds of photo competitions and scholarship grants so that I could be able to pay for college or buy a new camera that would help me in my career later on. So like in middle school, I saved all my money for like three years to buy like a very cheap camera set. And then by high school, I saved enough to buy myself a real legit full frame camera. And then when I graduated college, I had enough to buy myself a mirrorless camera that was like even more updated that is better and so on and so forth. And I think that just came because I was so, I've always been obsessed with doing things and doing them 
right? And and also having kind of like those accolades behind your name, not because of the clout that comes with it, but really because it's a testament to like your diligence and the way mm-hmm. that you like, like really, I think are like a master at what you do in a lot of ways. And I think it's more about the validation for myself to enable me to continue to grow. And if I don't get an opportunity, something else is coming. So yeah, that's kind of how it is. And in college, like I I had Excel sheets. I mean, each semester I may have applied to 200 internships and gotten maybe 30 interviews and no offers, right? And then finally, like my senior year at USC, I ended up getting like three different offers for all entertainment companies. And I had the balls to ask the recruiter at Paramount, oh, would I be able to actually do this internship in the summer? And they literally were like, yeah, we don't want to go through hiring someone else. You're awesome. We'll just take you for summer. And that happened to be the summer of 2020. So it was remote, unfortunately, but definitely very full circle um, as well when it comes to entertainment and, you know, just learning how how all of that works. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I really think it speaks to your passion because it, I think it can go one of two ways when you, um, you know, I'm going to use the word like strategic or strategic about like your future. And I've definitely been down both roads, so to speak. So like, for example, when I was younger, I was strategic in thinking that in order to, you know, like, like starting at the top, like in order to be what I thought I wanted to be, which was an investment banker, lol. And I like need to, yeah, I need to get into a good college. In order to get into a good college, I need to get into a good high school. In order to get into a good high school, I need to get grades, blah, 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 blah. Like all things that I just had such like monetary like value on that in reality I wasn't interested in, I wasn't passionate about, et cetera. And, and then just burnt me, I just burnt myself out. Whereas then like when I started this podcast and I was like DMing zillions of people on Instagram to come on and – yeah, it didn't push me back as much because I wasn't just doing it for the clout. I wasn't just doing it so that I could, you know, brag like tell my mom so she could brag to her friends. Mm-hmm. It was like something that I was just passionate about, and it ended up getting me my dream job. It ended up getting me a bunch of job offers because people saw podcasters on their resume and they're like, "That's new." So it's it's so interesting you say that because you did have the passion behind photography that fueled you and got you to where you want to be now. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was like what I wanted to do. Like last December, I had an idea to start like a Gen Z talk show and I didn't have a studio. I didn't have investors. I didn't have fancy equipment. I literally sat here with my iPhone on my little stand with, you know, the door closed behind me. And I just did as many episodes as I could. I ended up doing 17. I put together a pitch deck. I found the emails and LinkedIn profiles of maybe 30 different people working at all the top like podcasting distribution um, and production companies and just ended up grinding and emailing and following up until one group responded and like Spotify ended up responding. And like, that's super dope, you know, like And that wouldn't have happened had I not been so neurotic about consistently following up. I think there's a real art 
in shooting your shot and the follow-up. A lot of people think it's one or the other, but it's really about both. That's so cool. And so this is on Spotify now? Yeah, my show is on Spotify. Um, And we just launched our new season. My one-year anniversary with them is coming up on Saturday. Congrats. That's so exciting. I know. I feel like it's like super official. (laughs) Like, wow, we've been together one year. (laughs) Basically, Ox Cooper. Right? (laughs) The goal. (laughs) That's a goal. For real. So I was... I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the Sports Illustrated, um, I don't even know, opportunity came about and like what that process was like. Mm -hmm. Because it's like finalists and then you tell your story. Um, I was just reading like articles online, but I'd love to hear it from from you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, you know, involved. They have an open casting call once or twice a year. Um, I think this year it's twice for some reason, but last, uh, for, for my year of this year, um, earlier on in the year, they opened a casting call and you basically just submit and the odds are ever in your favor really. And, um, there was nothing that actually that's not true. I was like, there's nothing that I did that was super different. No, there was, um, I actually ended up submitting my application and then I posted about it on LinkedIn. And I, you know, think that that is what caught, their eye because I validated it in a way that other people hadn't before, which is that modeling's professional and um, being on a production set, it can be empowering. And there's a lot that comes from being confident and also representing people like while you're modeling. So um, that's kind of my approach to it. And their theme was empowerment this year. And um, I think I fit that pretty well. And the, the rest is kind of history. That's so cool. So are so were you on the cover? I'm like looking at no the pop sugar. Article. I wasn't I wasn't on the cover for sure. No, um, Miss Kim Kardashian was on the cover this year, um, but I was a part of their swim search finalist um, thing. So basically they end up out of all of the casting calls, they end up choosing um, a handful of women who end up uh, being in the magazine and having photo shoot and, you know, photos online and, uh, then one or two or three, or I have no idea what it is, get chosen to like come back as like models with them, but, uh, still like in the process of all of that. So yeah, I guess you'll see an update from them in a couple of months. (laughs) If it, if the odds work in my favor to, you know, win the competition, but who knows, it's like still up in the air. That's amazing. I mean, there's been a lot of press around it, so I feel like it's Never looking knew. good. <laughs> um, so among with your podcast and social media accounts, um, n- like now that you have this huge platform, what is the message you want to get across to everyone? Like what do you, I mean, you're such an inspiration for so many reasons. You just, you know, your tenacity, um, your compassion and, you know, your self-awareness but like what would you want to tell young girls now or even like yourself as a young girl yeah I mean I think a lot of what I do is really in light of wanting what I didn't have growing up so being that person that people can look to um 
when they need to know something about self-advocacy or inspiring somebody to just go for it and shoot their shot because you never know where it's going to lead or like empowering people through confidence and um, making sure that also like brands hold equitable spaces for the people that they distribute and sell to. So um, that's kind of one of my, you know, biggest messages, but you know, it, it also really changes a lot. So um, yeah, that's kind of that. Do you have anything exciting in store like for the future? I feel like your brain must be just wheels turning at all times. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot that I think about Um, at the moment, you know, it's, it's really about um, just kind of gearing myself up um, for summer for events and opportunities um, to uh, NFT week in New York city. Cause I'm super interested in big in the creator economy and the intersection that has in the web three spaces. Um, I know that was a lot of jargon. So if you know, you know, if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> and then, um, also like pride month and, um, also just continuing to hold space for, you know, content creators in, in the mental health space as well. So, um, that and by the end of the year, a book deal. So that's what's going on. Oh my God, that's so exciting. Yeah. I could also see you with like a killer skin line. Oh, I mean, maybe because I have super sensitive skin. Um, but yeah, I feel like I, I don't know what kind of entrepreneurial endeavors I will be doing. I have a lot of interests and aspirations. <laughs> I can tell. So I always kind of wrap up the interview with some questions that are like somewhat unrelated to the conversation, but there's always um, parts that tie back. So Mm -hmm. the first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? I think really dealing with the pushback of like living with a chronic illness and having friends who, you know, really didn't understand what I was going through forced me to be a more understanding person and that not everybody can hold space or honor like the thing that you need them to be there and that you should be okay with that. So I'm just always appreciating when people are around instead of expecting them to be around. Ooh, I like that. That's, that's such a good point. And, um, it's interesting, like, because I, I can relate in in a certain way to just having friends and it's not that they don't care. They just don't understand. Yeah. Um, and like, like when I lost my friend to suicide, I became a wreck. Like I would, did not go out. I was like crying in my room all the time and my friends would be like, come on, let's go out. Like, like it'll make you feel better, blah, blah, blah. And so if I did go out, I just end up like blacking out and like crying Mm -hmm. and like it'd be a terrible night and I think I held a lot of resentment for a while because I was like how can they not understand but it's like they can't understand they didn't go through that experience and it is I think it does take um a level of just I don't know if maturity is the right word but to have the grace to say okay it's yeah it's it's emotional intelligence you know it's it's Mm -hmm. understanding that your struggle does not outperform or like outdo anybody else's every single adult has every single person has lived with trauma in one way or another um it's really about I think 
like allowing yourself to process that and be self-aware and knowing kind of like what makes you tick, what no, what knowing what makes you upset, knowing how to deal with people when they like cross a line, like what are your boundaries? And once you figure out those boundaries, I feel like it's easier to create better, you know, relationships with, um, people. So true. Um, and I guess this is also just another tangent, but for those out there dealing with chronic illness, like what words would you tell them, I guess, as inspiration or as advice um, just to get to a place of self-awareness and contentment that you're you're at? Yeah, I mean, I think it really is very subjective and different for each person. But I think like really journaling and doing things that make you feel cathartic and like understanding your emotion and um, all of that is very important because without knowing like where you're at with the environments that you're in, I think it, it can get messy. So journaling usually helps you like iron out your thoughts in a way that I think just thinking it or even saying it out loud might not. Um, so I, I really, I really try my best to also walk myself through things when I'm, you know, feeling sad or something. And I'm like, I am feeling sad because, right. And then once you get there asking yourself, like, why does that make me feel sad? Right. And then you really start to uncover the real reasons why. And usually it comes down to your ego being hurt or, Um, you being insecure or having a fear of judgment. And then you can basically reframe the situation from there and just look at it as like a new opportunity or that, you know, something different is coming for you or that you can have a certain set of skills and maybe it wasn't the right fit for something. Right. So I think all of those are important ways that you can just become more self-aware. I love that. And journaling, I echo that a hundred percent, like even, Recently, I've just been really trying to hold myself accountable to journal more because I I found myself only going to my journal when I was sad so that all my entries were like just really depressed. And the other week I was like, wow, like I've had a really good couple of weeks. Like I need to write this out because I need to look like when I'm in a down place, I need to have something to look to to be like, it gets better. Yeah. you can like it's gonna pass whereas before every entry was like me it was tear stained Mm -hmm. so that was certainly wasn't helping anything but I I totally echo that and it does allow you just to look back and and learn about yourself and your growth yeah absolutely okay so my next question is do you believe everything happens for a reason yeah yeah why um I think everything is is ultimately a stepping stone to like the next thing um I don't know who's planning the things I don't know (laughs) how their brain works and whatnot but I do think that certain things happen um for people to help them achieve what they want to achieve and I think they're maybe like an underlying checks and balances thing, but it's also, like I said in the beginning, it's about preparation and opportunity. So everything does happen for a reason. Some of that's preparation and some of that's just the opportunity Mm -hmm. coming along as a result of that. So, um, I think there's layers to it, but yeah, I, I just think 
it does happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question. Um, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my Spotify live show is called everything you need is thin. That's definitely a favorite quote of mine. Um, another one is like another, uh, Rolling Stones lyric, which is you can't always get what you want. If you try, sometimes you just might find you get what you need. And I also love the quote do today what others won't so that tomorrow you can do the things that others can't. I love that. Um, and I'm a big quote person. <laughs> Same. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, what do I love most about myself? I love my like ability to be resilient. In what ways? In all the ways. Um, I mean, I think resilient in light of like living with chronic pain every day and still getting shit done, even if that's for my bed, um, resilient in like losing friends due to them not understanding what I'm going through, um, opportunities going by and just picking up and going to the next thing and, you know, being disappointed, but Hey, that's okay. Um, so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, recently had an interview with someone and, um, resilience is what she said. And I, think it's just it's such an important quality and it especially because you know we've lived in a global pandemic for the past two years like you need to be resilient and need in order to go through something like that and hopefully never again in our lifetimes but you know regardless like obstacles will will come by yeah absolutely and last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city so that could be New York City because you're there or, you know, whatever comes to mind. Um, I like to go get massages. Oh, I love <laughs> Like, it's like my, and dry bar. <laughs> like, I am such a blow dry. <laughs> I'm like, just obsessed with not washing my own hair and letting, just like letting myself relax for 45 minutes and just like chill. It's, it's really the best. That's awesome. Yeah. My, my company gives us like $50 stipends per month. And I, uh, my friend told to me dry bar. And she, no, oh my gosh. I wish just, just like for wellness things. Ah. And she just gets herself like, um, like $50, like credits to what is that spa? Like that massage envy. Mm. Oh, I so that just like racks place. up massage envy, like wow. gift cards. So that's what I've started doing. So I can relax a little bit. Um, but Gigi, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Where can everyone listen to your podcast? I mean, we mentioned it, um, but you know, follow you on Instagram, TikTok. like where should they reach out? Yeah. Um, you can Google me simply said on my name or my website, um, is ggrobinson.com. Um, my handles on all social media are just at it's ggrobinson. So you can find that on any platform and, uh, yeah, just thanks for having me. This was super fun. Great. Well, thank you again and bye everyone. Bye. 